1: Hey everyone, welcome back to another week of Trashy Divorces. My name is Stacy. Hey friends, I'm Alicia. Welcome back. Or welcome. We're happy to have you here. Sure. If, If it's a first time dropping in, hey, from us to you. If you're a returning Trash
0: Candy customer, we're excited to have you back. This week, we're actually using a few Patreon stories for you. We have taken our listeners on a little bit of a magic carpet ride this week with a Gilded Age tale and a tale of lady detectives.
1: A little outside of the, it's not strictly divorce focused so much. It's a little, yeah, anyway. Yes. So um, this week I brought to you the story of America's first lady detective. Her name was Kate Warren. And at one point she... Saved the union? She saved the union. Yeah. Stopped a plot against Abe Lincoln. But there is so much more to this wacky story. Please enjoy. I loved the research of this. You, oh my goodness, Consuelo
0: Vanderbilt, American heiress. What a trashy, classically trashy Gilded Age ride of twists and turns. It's a super fun one. Yeah. We think y'all will enjoy it. Yes, absolutely. We do put out four or five episodes every week on Patreon for two bucks. Every month on Patreon, you get ad-free episodes and trashy tidbits every Monday. You make that five bucks a month. You're getting every Tuesday episodes. Make 10. You get stuff on Wednesdays, all the spider webs. Thursday, nightcap chat.
1: Mm-hmm. Also, a monthly Zoom call. You call it a salon, but a I salon. insist you're mispronouncing the word. <laughs> it's a Zoom call. We have a lot of fun on Patreon, and there are a variety of levels to choose from if you need more. Yeah, if you need more trash candy in your life, yeah, we got you.
0: Patreon.com slash Trashy Divorces will get you 574... New trashy episodes for your ear holes.
1: Also, you get a shout out and we will commence with our magic mirror of shout outs to awesome people. Oh my gosh, in
0: the magic mirror this week. Big love and thanks and praise to our new Patreon supporters.
1: Amanda J, Kaltara Z, Connie L, Joy N, Fairway Maiden, Amy H,
0: Lauren Lee C., Omara M.A., Sydney J., Maria, Stephanie F., MCSH. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us over there. We hope you are enjoying your trash candy journey on Patreon. We are grateful for you, for all of our Patreon supporters, as well as you, Sunday listeners, for coming on in and spending your time with us for one more
1: week. Absolutely. I know we're both really excited about our two stories, so should we hop on a little magic carpet? Let's go, go, go!
0: Spider butts, spider butts. Stacy's gonna detect some spider butts. Old time crime, it's too fine. Hold on to your spider butts.
1: Yeah, spider butts. Hey, everybody! Boy, do I have a story! Like I started this one a while back, and then it got—it just gets it more exciting. It just got wow, so much different. Okay. What you got? Tell us. Introducing... Ta-da-da. This is sort of a continuation of our Loose Women series. Introducing Kate Warren, America's first female detective. Nice. Dun-dun-dun! Love it. In 1856, she convinced Alan Pinkerton, the Chicago-based Scottish detective and spy, to hire her as a detective at his Pinkerton detective agency.
0: Aye, a spy.
1: So Kate herself is a bit of a mystery prior to this, which amounts to her second and final act. It's believed she was born in a small community in upstate New York in 1833, and she was a widow by the age of 23. Ah, oh, wow. I wrote that it's not known how or when she arrived in Chicago, but it's also possible that Alan Pinkerton wrote a ton of, like, swashbuckling detective stories based on his own exploits. He was apparently quite the self-promoter, He may well have described all of this. I just have not actually read that. So anyway, I don't know how or when she arrived in Chicago, but one day in 1856, Kate walks into the Pinkerton headquarters with a want ad that Allen had posted in the local Chicago paper. Okay. He assumed that she was seeking clerical work, but Kate had other ideas. No, no, she said. I should like to be a detective. Pinkerton scoffed. Who had ever heard of a lady detective? Lady detective? Pish posh. Pish posh. He had assembled a team of hard-boiled dicks who knew the P's and Q's of detecting. It is not the custom to employ women detectives, he told her. Kate looked at him slyly and said, you know that I can go places you can't go. Yeah, you can. And that I can speak to people you can't speak to. Yep. Pinkerton was listening. I've made up pretty much all of this dialogue, by okay, the Okay, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Kate pointed out that a woman detective had the ability to befriend the wives and girlfriends of the criminals the Pinkertons were chasing and would be, quote, most useful in worming out secrets in many places, which would be impossible for a male detective. That is Pinkerton. Women talk, you we know, we know, we tell the things. Well, and she also pointed out that men turn into reckless idiots when they're trying to impress a woman. Yep. And can easily be led into boasting and bragging, and certainly then, if not still today, men may believe that women are too dumb to understand what it is they're saying. Oh, you're so handsome (laughs) and smart and just the most powerful man in the world. With all this money, how'd you get all this money? (laughs) I like Kate Warren. Pinkerton was persuaded, and within two years, Kate had blown the lid off a major embezzlement case in Alabama. What? In 1858, she was dispatched. Wikipedia has this all wrong. And so, and that has led to it being wrong in all sorts of other publications that I was reading. Oh, no. In 1858, she was dispatched to Philadelphia. Okay. Where the wife of the prime suspect was summering alone. Well, actually, with her daughter, but. Not the husband, who was still in Montgomery. And there, Kate insinuated herself into the confidence of the man's wife, named Belle Maroney. Nathan Maroney was an employee of Adams Express Company, basically a forerunner of today's shipping giants like UPS and FedEx. I think you mean... Stavros. (laughs) Stavros.
0: <laughs> Nyarkos.
1: And along with American Express, Adams was like, these two were the largest shipper of goods in the U.S. at the time. Okay. It was a big company. It it still exists, it, but it's like a hedge fund now. It You, you know, sure. like American Express is a credit card company. You're, You're so not. rich and powerful. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. In the 1840s, abolitionist groups had used Adams to get anti-slavery newspapers and pamphlets into the South. Nice. Because it was just very well networked down there. Okay. And in one notable incident in 1849, an enslaved Virginia man named Henry Brown, <laughs> nicknamed Box forever after, shipped himself to Philadelphia using Adams. What? And upon delivery, emerged into freedom. Box. Fantastic, Box. Henry Brown. Box Brown. That is a hell. That's off. Awesome. Shipped himself to freedom. I- Amazing. What's when, the way to do it? Anyway, Maroney was an expressman for Adams Express, which I think amounts to being like a, an office manager, some kind of station executive okay. in the Montgomery office. And, you know, like all of his colleagues, Adams believed him to be beyond reproach. Obviously, you don't put people you think are going to steal from you in position to ship currency and jewels and sure. stuff like that. However, $10,000 had gone missing from Uh-oh. one shipment with no clear understanding of why, and a few months after that, $40,000 was removed Shit. from a shipment of in cash. All of these are cash. uh oh For Adam's Express, which had built its reputation around safely transiting all of this valuable kind of stuff, not a good look. Yeah, th- this had to be solved. Oh so, gosh, we're going to call Pinkerton. Yes, they yes. call they call Pinkerton. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Kate, passing herself off as Madame Imbert, befriends Belle in Philadelphia. and She's summering. She's summering. Away from Alabama. Away from Alabama. Okay. As one would. (laughs) Anyway. Kate makes sure that Belle sees her. So at the time, currency was largely banknotes. And so if you were traveling, you might need to exchange your banknotes from Chicago for local banknotes in Philly. Right. Okay. So... Kate made sure that Bell sort of saw her exchanging, like, ridiculously large amounts of these banknotes sure. to incite some curiosity. And so as her curiosity grows, Madame Embert eventually confesses that she has married a forger... And lives daily in the misery of his wastrel life. Oh, his wastrel life. Finally, Belle has a confidant who can understand her situation, (sighs) because in point of fact, all that stolen money was buried in her sister's basement just outside of Philly. Shit. Shit. (sighs) Okay, this is a- there is a long and convoluted story, because Pinkerton also had a bunch of agents in Montgomery tailing Nathan, like- It's a big thing. The the detective and the expressman is the name of the the novel that he wrote about this adventure, this caper. The Maroney Filoni. Well, and and when they dispatched Pinkerton to go and recover the money from the basement, Pinkerton had Pinkerton's following the Pinkerton agent to make sure he didn't steal. He had a (laughs) satchel with $40,000 in cash in it. So very, oh my just all very spy versus spy this at this point, great. like the line between cop and crook here, very, very <laughs> invisible. Okay. So the cash was recovered. Nathan was convicted and sentenced to 10 years hard labor, which hey. may have amounted to a death sentence. Sure. And Bell, according to Alan Pinkerton, moved to Chicago with Madame Embert, where they moved in together in a house he owned. What? I literally have no idea. That is like the Wait, last Kate he says Warren of it.
0: Falls in love with Belle? and the t- like. I was about to say, does this turn into a romance?
1: I don't know. Holy fuck! I it is not known. Oh my god! That, but yeah, in in the the detective and the expressman, like that's the last paragraph about the two of them is like, and they then run off together. They've happily ever after. in in Pinkerton housing. <laughs> With her daughter, this like this is trashy. I love it. Anyway, okay. So, so that all happened.
0: Oh my god! This <laughs> I, is a spider I told wind. you
1: it was not the story I thought it was. Pinkerton was suitably impressed with Kate. <laughs> well, Their lesbian skills <laughs> or her money know. recovery plan? Good and lord! Decided that Lady Pinkertons or Pink's, as they would come to be called, were uh-huh. gonna be a thing. And he promoted Kate to supervisor for the Female Detective Bureau.
0: Fantastic.
1: And this was strangely progressive. Like the Pinkertons kind of famously were were used by um corporations to bust union activity, like strikes and all that. It's all very fuzzy, but Alan Pinkerton himself apparently was like really progressive in interesting ways too. And so his house in Chicago, pre-Civil War, was a stop on the Underground Railroad. Really? And the Pinkertons hired at least one woman of color in this era. Because again, you can go places that I can't go. You can talk I mean, to people entire, that yeah. I can't talk yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is fascinating. It's fascinating. Okay. So now we're going to talk about the Baltimore plot and okay. how Lady Pinkerton Kate Warren saved Abraham Lincoln's life. What? And thereby ensured the end of legal enslavement in America and the perseverance of the Union. Kate Warren's in slavery?
0: By association.
1: Plays a role. Okay. <laughs> this is borrowed from a Washington Post article by Petula Dvorak. I feel like I should say that since I'll be reading someone else's writing. Her invisibility, born of 19th century sexism, was Kate Warren's most powerful asset. Yeah. Asset. The secessionists flirting and gossiping with the lovely Mrs. Cherry at Baltimore galas didn't worry about tipping off the charming southern belle to their assassination <sighs> plots. And while a city bristling with weapons, rumors, assassins, spies, and officers anxiously waited for the heavily guarded president-elect Abraham Lincoln to pass through Baltimore on his way, on the way to his 1861 inauguration, and possibly straight into a trap, they ignored the young widow accompanying her unusually tall, invalid brother in a sleeping berth headed to Washington. No. Kate rode in that berth alongside Lincoln all the way to the Capitol that night, her sleepless vigilance inspired her company's slogan, Pinkerton's National Detective Agency, We Never Sleep.
0: Oh, my God. Yeah.
1: This, this is uh, amazing. Alan Pinkerton really, I was just like, wow, this is, it's like P.T. Barnum and Inspector Clouseau, like, all <laughs> rolled into one. <laughs> This operation Uh, got started when the head of a railroad came to Pinkerton with rumors of plots to blow up his rail lines, his infrastructure.
0: Yeah, I got a problem.
1: Yeah. Academic Norma Cuthbert writes, quote, It was whispered that there was a plan to blow up the Capitol and seize the Arsenal and Navy Yard. That Washington soon would be isolated with railroad tracks torn up, bridges burned, telegraph wires destroyed. That armed secret societies were springing up throughout Virginia, Maryland, and the District of Columbia, ready and geared for action. I know, like echoes of today, right? This came to be known as the Baltimore Plot. And at its heart, it was an audacious conspiracy to assassinate the president-elect, Abraham Lincoln. So here's some context on Abe Lincoln's election. November 6, 1860, obviously, he was elected the 16th president, first Republican president, and his victory was entirely due to support in the North and West. No ballots were cast for him in 10 of the 15 Southern slave states, and he won only two of 996 counties in the Southern states. Wow. In spite of the South's antipathy to him, his victory in the Electoral College was decisive. He had 180 votes, and the other three candidates split 123 between them. On his 11-day whistle-stop tour from Springfield, Illinois to his Washington inauguration, Lincoln was planning to stop in Baltimore, and that is where Pinkerton sent the best agent for the job, Kate Warren. Yeah! Da-da-da. She went by Mrs. Cherry or Mrs. Barley, poured on a Southern accent— and pinned a black and white cockade. I okay. don't know the pr- correct pronunciation. You don't have anything nice to say. Come sit next to me. It is a knot of ribbons. It, it decorative. Okay. I mean, it's akin to a brooch. Sure. Brooch.
0: Fuck. I can't even vase vase tomato Ooh. tomato. It's fine.
1: Women's accoutrements. They're all mysterious to oh, me. You just pulled out accoutrement. I did. Fake, anyway, so it was a knot of ribbons that signaled allegiance to the South. Okay. That she wore on her chest. She partied with the secessionists at the legendary Barnum's City Hotel. Oh, my God. Described by some as one of the most opulent in America at the time. It was also the secessionists' headquarters. And I believe that it was also the site of um, the final planning for Lincoln's actual assassination. Really? Wow. Yep. So it was there that she learned of the various plots to kill Lincoln. The most plausible one according to Pinkerton's account, was a plan to attack Lincoln while he was getting into the carriage that would take him from the station he arrived at in Baltimore across the city to a different station where he, he would board the train for Washington. Okay. I didn't realize it required a train. It's They're only like 30 miles apart, but I guess back then, like on horse, that would yeah, take a good a, long it's a, while. It's a while. Okay. yeah. Pinkerton tried to persuade Lincoln to cancel all his stops, especially the one in Baltimore, but Lincoln insisted on keeping his schedule, which included dinners and speeches and a flag raising over Independence Hall in Philadelphia. Lincoln's bodyguard, Ward Hill Lehman, tried to give the president-elect a revolver and a Bowie knife, but Pinkerton was horrified and would not hear of it. I'm not sure why. It's probably not a good look if the
0: president is, you know... Pulling a gun and a knife. Arming up. Yeah, arming up for (laughs) his inauguration.
1: All right. When Lincoln...
0: I mean, especially like Pinkerton, we have guards for that. That's not not on you. That's on us. Yeah. Have you heard? We
1: don't sleep. We don't sleep. (laughs) We're big on coffee over here at Pinkerton. (laughs) We never sleep.
0: (laughs) Rage. Monster. Have
1: you met Kate's girlfriend? (laughs) Bell. Ruby has a lot to say about this story. Okay. She's, she's very pro-Lincoln. <laughs> Ruby's a unionist. She's upset by all of this Southern plotting. Guys, haven't even found my gun and my Bowie knife yet. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! Okay. When Lincoln's future Secretary of State, William H. Seward, independently heard about the Baltimore plot and urged Lincoln to believe it, the president-elect finally listened to Pinkerton... And Kate, and went along with the plan they hatched to get Lincoln through okay, Baltimore. Okay, here's
0: my knife.
1: <laughs> Fine. Sorry. The president wore an old overcoat, a soft hat, and possibly a shawl over his shoulders. Well, I, he's an invalid brother. counts vary. Yeah. Well, and we, a lot of the pictures that we have of Lincoln, he's in one of those, like, giant top hats. Right. Like, the soft hat thing, I bet, was completely Gave him not- a lot
0: of... A lot of cover.
1: Yeah, not the image that anyone had of him. Okay. In her report about that night, filed as MB, Mrs. Barley, uh-huh. Kate described how she bought four tickets in Philadelphia for a sleeping berth to Washington via Baltimore okay. and set out ahead of time to secure them. The sleeping berths, though, were not the usual variety. They were not reserved by ticket, but rather it was a first-come, first-served free-for-all. And so potentially plotters could end up... Oh, around mingling them. in. Welcome to an Agatha Christie novel. Right, exactly. Yeah. So she, she bribed the conductor. she Perfect. 50 cents. Hell yeah. Um, Go Kate. So that those four, he would basically keep those reserved for this retinue that would include herself, Lincoln, Ward Hill Lehman, and Alan Pinkerton. Okay. The president-elect was friendly, she wrote, even though he was surprised that a woman rather than a cavalry squad would whisk him through Baltimore. So, this is a quote from Lincoln. I believe it has not hitherto been one of the...
0: (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know that you were going to do full-on Lincoln. Please, hitherto continue. (laughs) Therefore,
1: with... I believe it has not hitherto been one of the prerequisites of the presidency to acquire in full bloom so charming and accomplished a female relation. Have you met my lover, Belle? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, this is amazing. (laughs) Her description of the president-elect was less generous. Oh no. Mr. Lincoln is very homely and so very tall that he could not lay straight in his berth. Oh, bless his heart. (laughs) So she stayed awake by Lincoln's side all night. Lincoln was safely delivered to Washington. This is so good. Telegraphs from Pinkerton, his codename was Plums, confirmed the success. Plums has nuts. Uh Uh-uh. The message Uh -uh -uh -uh. read. That's a lie. Plums has nuts. Lincoln was not Eagle or POTUS. His codename for this operation was nuts. So plums has
0: nuts.
1: There was, I guess there were a, there were peace delegates gathered in Washington because the Civil War was not not yet happening, and they were trying to head it off. So when news got around that um, Lincoln had arrived and not been killed, <laughs> one of them was quoted in the paper: "How the devil did he get through Baltimore?" Plums has nuts. Plums has nuts. Mounds don't. <laughs> I think we just named our episode "Plums as Nuts." <laughs> <laughs> okay, and so to reiterate, as this oh, was just Jesus. so mind blowing, the the this main okay. way that we know about all of this is because Alan Pinkerton wrote these weird novels. Sure, that are like, yeah, it's like Agatha Christie, and like There's my fictional true account, true crime, of, and yeah. I had no idea. He, but he the, a, he had a lot of books, like he wrote a lot of books. <laughs> he was just a terrific self-promoter of his business like love it it's so it's such a weird thing so um yeah the first one above is from uh the expressman and the detective and pinkerton is the detective here not not kate Kate Warren, Hmm. (laughs) kate's uh Character in the—I mean, th- it's real. The uh Maroney, Nathan Maroney, mm-hmm. like when he was convicted. There's there was a write-up in the New York Times about it that I found. Yeah, I can um, imagine that would be big. Yeah, news. yeah, for sure. Partly just because the company would need to reassure the public that, like, we found it and we process. Like, gotta uh, yeah clear that accountability, up. huh? Weird that weird right. that. So there are some other adventures that Kate had documented in other pinkerton books like oh my god tell me the somnambulist and the detective what the murderer and the fortune teller apparently she went undercover as a fortune teller to you have
0: totally buried the lead well
1: that's <laughs> yes yeah, so i i have not read that one <laughs> um but i think i will and i will then um share the further adventures of kate warren Lady Pinkerton, head of the Female Detectives Bureau. And fortune teller, Lady Pink. And Lady Pink. Plums has nuts. Plums has nuts. I love this story. I will say Kate Warren died of pneumonia in 1868 at the age of just 33 or 34. Mm. We don't know what month she was born. That's so sad. But she, I mean, she and Pinkerton were close enough that uh, Pinkerton had her buried in his family plot at really? Graceland Cemetery in oh, Chicago. Wow. I did try to find out the future haps of Belle Maroney and sure. her daughter Flora of apparently Chicago, Illinois. Okay. And I I did not, but like if if you listener are a relative big um. into genealogy or whatever and want to take that on, I would be so fascinated because Find out what happened. Yeah, like Pinkerton was always pretty clear that the stories he was writing were he was not Super bound by facts. I think they were generally true. But he was happy to embellish things. I would love to know, is did Belmaroni and Flora, like, what happened there? Interesting. Just moving on in with Kate
0: Ward. Depending on when they moved in together, they may be registered in a census, right? If they were living in the same address. And if she died in 68,
1: she's not going to be in the 70 census but she would. They could be in the 60s census. Interesting, because yeah, that all happened in eighteen fifty eight. Let's investigate. Let's investigate. Anyway, that was amazing. Thank friends, you, friends. We may have more on Kate Warren in the future, but um, that was a lot of fun. Plums has nuts. By golly, yeah. That started with the Baltimore plot, and then this <laughs> Alabama embezzlement thing suddenly like turned into this whole other thing. So, so there's uh, some adventure stories. I was some pink? Spider butts today. I love it. Thanks, Stacey. Spider butts. Spider butts.
0: Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. That was awesome.
1: We love y'all. We love y'all. Yeah. Keep on detecting. Hey, Trash Pandas. When you need a brain break from your day, let me recommend the game June's Journey for Android and iPhone. It's a hidden object mystery game where you are solving a murder, uncovering family secrets, and, I don't know, exposing official corruption? Alicia, we are back with heiresses. Heiresses, heiresses. You have have a family name I'm just not familiar with today. Ha, today. just have never heard of these people at all in any context. I I just, I need you to settle in.
0: I need you to hold on to your pantaloons (laughs) and your corsets because I have a gilded age roller coaster today. Today. Bring it. We're talking about Consuelo Vanderbilt. Sounds like an old Dutch family. (laughs) (laughs) Consuelo was born March 2nd, 1877. So happy 158th birthday, Consuelo or whatever we were in. Um, I want to give you a little bit of background. Where was she born? I'm not there yet. Okay. Hold on. I want to give you a little background before we get into Consuelo's story, because Consuelo's story does not start with Consuelo. Consuelo's story starts with a little bit of background on how the Vanderbilt fortune was built and disseminated Tulips huh. <laughs> <laughs> when Cornelius Vanderbilt corny, also known as the Commodore, right Godors <laughs> died in eighteen seventy seven he dies the same year is born he has an estimated one hundred and five million dollars, which is about two point six billion billion mm-hmm. today.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So, old commie, nope. Commie tulip, corny. Left corny tulips. Ninety-five percent of that hundred and five million dollars to his eldest son, William. Okay. So in the nine years from when William inherited his father's fortune and to his own death, William had doubled that hundred and five million. Wow. Okay. William has four sons: Cornelius Jr., William K. Frederick, and George. So when William dies in 1885, he passes on his fortune. To his wife and children, with the largest amounts going to Cornelius Jr. and William K. All right, stage set. William K. is the father of Consuelo.
1: And didn't, I feel like Corny Jr. popped up in the Victoria Woodhull story? Is he that- pops up, Cornelius Jr. is the grandfather of Gloria Vanderbilt. Right, but yeah, I think he also popped up in, I think he I forget. He's, yes.
0: George Vanderbilt, who is the youngest of William K's sons, will build Biltmore okay. in Asheville. There's mm-hmm.
1: lots of, there. I mean, this is Spiderweb, Spiderweb City. And I think, I think Biltmore is also Joe Biden's slogan. Is that? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Biltmore better? <laughs> So, Consuelo
0: is the daughter of William K. Vanderbilt and Alva Smith. Vanderbilt is her married name. Alva, we talked about a little bit last week. She was born January 17th, 1853 in Mobile, Alabama. Alva's family summers in Newport, Rhode Island. Alva's sister Jenny married Fernando Isnaga, the brother of... Of Alva's best childhood friend, Consuelo Isnaga, who we talked about last Last week. week, Okay. Okay. So this all connects back to, because Consuelo Vanderbilt is named for Alva's best friend, Consuelo Isnaga. Okay. Consuelo Isnaga, as you remember, later becomes the Duchess of Manchester. And Jenny, Alva's sister, divorces Fernando and ends up marrying William George Tiffany. Okay. New York High Society, y'all. Okay, Consuelo's early life. Now we're into it. Okay, so this is the daughter of William K. Vanderbilt. And Alva Smith Vanderbilt. Okay. Yes. So if anyone is born to be an American princess, it is Consuelo Vanderbilt. Her family has great wealth. It allows her to be surrounded by a level of opulence that is just tough to imagine today. Consuelo, born at the height of the Gilded Age... She lives in the most luxurious and privileged place. Like, her backdrop is gorgeous. Consuelo's family has a grand mansion on Fifth Avenue in New York City and a palatial Long Island estate called Idle Hour. After her grandfather dies and her dad inherits money, Alva, her mother, will design and commission the building in Newport, Rhode Island, called Marble House. Marble House, located at 896 Bellevue Avenue, is Alva's pet project. And she will fashion her home in Newport, Rhode Island, after the Grand Palaces of Europe. So Marble House is not just the name. We like ice cream here. No. The mansion is built with a half a million cubic feet of marble. Marble House. So this is not where they went to play marbles. No, no. The home is made of fucking marble. It is approximately 140,000 square feet. Marble House has 50 rooms and requires 36 servants just
1: to keep it going. Is it currently in use as a hotel? (laughs) Homes don't have 50 bedrooms. Marble house hotels
0: do (laughs) Marble house is one of the first homes that turns Newport, Rhode Island in to this summer retreat of opulent palaces before it just used to be summer cottages. People would go to relax there for the summer. They had kind of ramshackle shacks, but Alva Smith Vanderbilt changes it all up. Okay. She's like, no, I'm going to build a palace. No
1: more relaxing for you, peons. It's my
0: palace cottage. My God. Okay, so one year after Marble House is completed, William's brother, Cornelius Jr., will begin construction on what will be Newport's largest and grandest cottage, quote-unquote, called the Breakers. Family competition. The Vanderbilts are building. I want to put this in perspective that... Consuelo's life is a gilded cage. It holds tremendous grandeur. On the opposite side of that, as pretty as your marble home is, Consuelo has no freedom, no ability to make her own choices. Everything about her childhood is meticulously planned and overseen by her overbearing and very much social climbing mother. From birth, Consuelo is bred. For her ultimate purpose, which is to marry and and have a son, snagging a royal or a titled husband to marry, okay. to marry well.
1: well. yes. Sorry, I, I, I thought that was. Assumed. It is only a. It is only a prince or a duke. Yeah, either that gotta, will do either for Mama. Got to have a title or a bank account with so many zeros you can't read to the end. No, the bank account doesn't even matter at this
0: point. Alva is looking for mm, a title. Okay. okay, so Consuelo is educated. In the European languages, in arts, in culture, her etiquette and manners training are rigorous. So it is considered necessary at this point in time for a young lady to sit and stand up straight. So Consuelo is forced to wear a metal brace that goes down her spine and straps around her waist. It goes over her shoulders and has another strap that goes around her forehead. So it ensures her ladylike aristocratic posture. And will elongate her neck, too, because that's absolutely how human beings should sit.
1: I came into this disliking these people, and it's not getting better. Oh, no, you're, it's it's a wild (laughs) ride. We're not even, I'm just setting it up. Consuelo
0: has a strict course of daily lessons and a schedule that is maintained down to the minute. So not only is she in the sit up straight brace and her schedule monitored down to every minute, Consuelo is also whipped with a riding crop when she has minor infractions. Hmm. Her brothers get sent to school. She's cloistered. She's overly protected. Poor Consuelo. Yeah. She lives a lonely and secluded life, although it is in luxury and splendor in the prettiest things. It's it's pretty terrible. But
1: it's under tyranny. Yeah. Right. Um, like, yeah, you get two scoops of ice cream, but, like, <laughs> you can't go outside it's ever. Terrible. So, <sighs>
0: in the time, it's an accepted part of wealthy marriages, we've talked about it thousands of times, that the husbands and sometimes wives are unfaithful. It's fine. It's something that people expected. It's tolerated. As long as your spouse is being discreet about the affairs, like country house parties. It happens in America. It happens in England. Like, People cheat. Rich people are different. Rich people. Mama always said. Rich people are different. Rich people are different. And as long as you're keeping it quiet, a lot of wives look the other way. But William is not discreet. And William is cheating on Alva. And Alva's not a woman who tolerates much. So this is the shocker. In March of 1985, Alva divorces William. March of when? Nineteen eighty-five. Yes, that's said what I said. They're old. They're March, very old. Eighteen ninety-five. Right. I'm so, so, they're so sorry.
1: Also immortal. <laughs> this so is the vampire thread the, of the, the Vanderbilt the, the, the Vanderpires. <laughs> <laughs> this is my new band,
0: <laughs> and this episode is going to be three hours long, and it's going to be awesome. Okay, so Alva shocks society; she divorces William. In March of 1895, now all Alva has done her whole life is social climb and try to outdo every other rich wife that she's in competition with, and Alva had won. She was at the top of the heap. In her divorce, though, which scandalizes society, Alva gets over ten million dollars, which is about three hundred and twelve million today, and. Marble House. Just owned it outright. But the trade-off for Alva, which she doesn't think is going to happen but does happen, she loses her place in society. By divorcing William Vanderbilt, she's essentially banished from the society that she had worked so hard to belong to. Alva doesn't think that society is going to turn her back on her. I'm too rich. I'm too powerful. Have you seen my marble home? But Alva is wrong r-o-n-g just absolutely wrong about it so all the women that were previously her friends no longer acknowledge her she's not invited to parties she's cut out of even just the littlest part not even balls not even like she's out from what you know about alva do you think she's going to accept defeat no i feel like the answer is to head to paris well alva has a plan To regain and even improve upon her previous social standing. And this all comes down to her straight-backed daughter, Consuelo. Because Consuelo, only a king, prince, or duke will do. Do you see where I'm going with this? Alva's like, yeah, I can get it back if I marry her off to a titled aristocratic family. So Alva will arrange... For John Spencer Churchill, the ninth Duke of Marlborough, he's nicknamed Sonny, to visit for the sole purpose of arranging a marriage between him and her daughter Consuelo. And now everybody in town wants to meet the Duke. Alva, just by bringing the Duke to town and fostering this social connection. Alva's got her place back in society. I want you to know there's no reason for Alva to do the next thing she's going to do, but she does them anyway, because Alva's kind of a bitch. She's already sort of redeemed her place back in society, but Alva will accomplish her life goal and get Consuelo married to the Duke of Marlborough. But Consuelo doesn't want to marry the Duke of Marlborough, because Consuelo, what you don't know, has had some time off. Where mom hasn't been paying attention, and Consuelo has gotten secretly engaged to someone else. She's fallen in love with Winthrop Rutherford. And Winthrop Rutherford has proposed.
1: Winnie. Winnie. And is Winthrop Rutherford a duke or a prince? Well, Winnie is from a wealthy old money family. He
0: is part of Ward McAllister's 400. Rutherford is a direct descendant of Lewis Morris, a signer of the Declaration of Independence. He's a direct descendant of Peter Stuyvesant, good Dutch stock. Yep, the last Dutch director of New Amsterdam and later Mm -hmm. New York. Mm -hmm. He's a direct descendant of John Winthrop, the first Mm. governor of Massachusetts. Mm. So you would think this kind of social cachet would be enough for Alva.
1: None of those things seem like a dukedom to me. No, it's not good enough for Alva. Probably doesn't even have an English accent. Uh, Certainly not.
0: (laughs) Alva's not going to settle for anything less than what? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. No, poor Winnie. All right. (laughs) So Alva forbids the marriage between Connie and Winnie and forces Consuelo to travel to Europe Mm. to separate the two young lovers. Europe. Europe. So Alva's not going to let Consuelo throw away her chance to
1: marry John Spencer Churchill and become a duchess. Right, I feel like the Germans and the Italians still had tons of little nobilities all over the place at this point. So, I mean, you can pick up a title. That's the English
0: nobility you want. So Alva goes to some pretty extreme measures to accomplish keeping Consuelo into Alva's plan. She locks Consuelo in a room. There's a footman that stands guard outside Consuelo's door so Consuelo cannot leave all of Consuelo's mail, incoming and outgoing is monitored. Because yeah. you can't write to Winthrop no, Winnie, Rutherford. Winthrop's crying, right? Sad. Sad, Consuelo sad
1: I ever taught you to write at all. Protesting.
0: She's complaining. And Alva will let Consuelo know that she will shoot Winthrop Rutherford if they actually manage Tulip. I'll just kill him. So... How far would that have gotten you anyway, Consuelo? Okay, hold on. Now, Alva's not done. I'm telling you, this is a gilded age roller coaster. Alva's final manipulation is faking a heart attack. Oh my God. And blaming it on Consuelo's disobedience. Oh my God. Consuelo, broken down, finally gives in to her mother's threats and control tactics. She relents on the morning of the wedding. Consuelo was never left alone for one single second because Alva fears she'll run away. Da Alva Vanderbilt achieves her dream. Her daughter marries a Duke. And now she is fully cemented back in a position of power in society. And everybody wants like this story is about to know the story is supposed to be about Consuelo, right? We're going to get to her. But Alva, move out the
1: way. Okay. May I ask? I, I, you may not know this. So as the mother of a duchess, do, does she end up with any kind of title or is she just the mother of a duchess? She's the mother of a duchess, okay. but now her company is sought after. Well,
0: right. Because right. she's the mother of a duchess. Yeah. Her daughter is a titled aristocrat. Queen Victoria sends a congratulatory telegram. Like the house is a Twitter. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pre-Twitter. But, Pre-Twitter. Uh, Twitter. A
0: Twitter. Pre-Twitter. So American industrialist families right now are amassing tremendous wealth. But a lot of it is newly acquired. It's not old wealth. So they've got a lot of money, but not the power or prominence that they want in society. On the flip, European aristocracy have the exact opposite problem. The English aristocracy has no cash, and they need vast amounts of money to restore their expansive and palatial country estates. Like, English families titled are broke, but they've got a lot of street cred. Okay.
1: No, it's, I mean, it, it's funny because Spain basically, like, did the New World thing partly because it was full of gold. Like, they strip mined the New World for good. Like, I, I'm just seeing, like, history is repeating. now. Now, English nobles are broke. And they're going to strip by in the West for girls, basically. That's it. <laughs> girls so with money. The money
0: poor English aristocrats provide the desired titles, prominence, and status to wealthy, to rich, new yeah, money American rich families. So those wealthy, moneyed American families
1: can provide money mm-hmm. and girls. Mm-hmm. It's a transaction. It's a transaction.
0: A transatlantic
1: transaction. A Mm transatlantic
0: transaction uh, taking place in the form of marriage and a nice big fat dowry. Right. Okay. So, I mean, these American families, to your point, are literally doing nothing more than selling their daughters to men who do not love them just to elevate the family's social status. English aristocracy selling their titles and prestige to how big is your dowry? Let let's weigh it against these other offers. Right. All right. So Consuelo marries John Spencer Churchill, the ninth Duke of Marlborough, in New York City on the sixth of November, eighteen ninety-five. Again, nothing's going to ruin Alva's plan. Consuelo is locked in a room. <laughs> Consuelo would later write that she was grateful for such a large veil because her face and her eyes were swollen from having spent the whole morning crying.
1: Okay. <laughs> yippee now
0: consuelo in this transaction is not the only person in this marriage in love with someone else her husband her new husband Sonny the ninth duke is also in love at the time of his marriage he's in love with a lady named muriel wilson and she is a beautiful and accomplished member of british high society and she doesn't have money. Right. Right. Otherwise,
1: she would be Otherwise, fairly Muriel suitable. Otherwise, would yeah. be
0: perfect. So Sonny tells Consuelo the night of their wedding that he had to give up the woman he loved in order to save Blenheim Palace, which
1: is his home. Right. Good Lord. Okay, so neither one of them... I mean, at least everybody's clear, right? Like, they're being honest with each other. That's actually not a terrible start to
0: a marriage. Well, they do end up producing two sons. John Spencer Churchill, born in 1897. He'll later become the 10th Duke of Marlborough. Lord Ivor Spencer Churchill is born in 1898. So... The useful thing here is that Consuelo's dowry will guarantee that Blenheim Palace is saved for future generations. Blenheim Palace is kind of a fun place. It may be a fun dirty digs one day. Today, Blenheim Palace is a national monument and a UNESCO World Heritage site. Hmm. A lot, a lot of notable things happened at Blenheim Palace. We may follow up on that. Interesting. Okay. <clears throat> so while it, was long thought that the Duke was the only unfaithful spouse in the marriage, it is now known that Consuelo was also unfaithful with... Winnie? Yes, Winifred Rutherf- Winthrop Rutherford, yes, her previous love, and also with the Duke's cousin. <laughs> the couple's great-grandson wrote a biography of the Duke and discusses a letter the family found that revealed the Duke's anguish about Consuelo's affairs. Aw, The biography is called The Churchill Who Saved Blenheim, The Life of Sonny, Ninth Duke of Marlborough. This is by Michael Waterhouse, who is the great-grandson of Sonny and Consuelo. It identifies that Consuelo is just as guilty in the infidelity game as her husband. And it also shows that Sonny was far kinder to Consuelo than Consuelo's autobiography called The Glitter and the Gold, will portray Sonny to be. interesting. So the letter was a bombshell that was written by Sonny to the lawyer and liberal MP Richard Haldane where Sonny asks for advice regarding the quote present melancholy and difficult situation unquote he found himself in. The Duke claims that Consuelo told him a few years into the marriage about her love and devotion to Winthrop Rutherford and that she wished to elope with him. The devastated Duke, feeling desperate about the situation and feeling great regret at realizing how forced Consuelo was to marry him, reluctantly agrees to let Consuelo pursue her desire to get back with Winthrop. Okay. The great-grandson, Michael Waterhouse, Mm -hmm. says, Reading it today almost 120 years after it was written, it is impossible not to feel the Duke's anguish or admire his dignified efforts to do the right thing. By his adulterous young wife. Winthrop Rutherford comes back into Consuelo's life like three years into her marriage. And the two of them spend two weeks in Paris together. (laughs) (laughs) The Duke of Marlborough will remarry. He has a second wife, Gladys Deacon. And she will tell the author uh, that the second son, Ivor, is the result of two nights in Paris with an American yikes okay so the oldest Mm. son lord Blandford, who becomes the 10th duke of marlborough is a large man and resembles the churchills but the second son ivor is much smaller and doesn't look anything like anyone in the family he looks a lot like consuelo and a little bit like winthrop Hmm. Hmm. okay now Hmm. you ready for devastation winthrop is like i don't want to elope with you consuelo I know. This is so sad. Mm -hmm. And so Consuelo may be pregnant, but comes back kind of and tells Sonny that I have no alternative but to stay with you, dude. And so the Duke is unhappy about the whole situation, but decides to go with his cousin Winston, Churchill, to the South African War. This is the Anglo-Boer War, to assist in the British efforts. And he's gone for six months. No worries. Consuelo's cool. She's been keeping busy. Upon the Duke's return in July of 1900, Consuelo's like, hey, Sonny, I've become attached to someone while you were gone. The man she'd become attached to was Frederick Guest, the Duke's cousin. Consuelo had been living with Guest at Blenheim Palace while Sonny was away. (laughs) Thought I'd go help some South African farmers. Yeah, well, this is not Consuelo's first affair with Guest, but... You do know Frederick Guest because he is the father-in-law of CZ Guest, who we talked about in The Swans. That's very interesting. Um, Boom.
1: So what I'm hearing is that Connie is really not a kind person. Is that? I realize that she was not given love as a child. Oh, she'll um, come back around in the end. Does she? Okay. Yeah, there, no, I, this is a, this I feel a, like this a there's, roller coaster baby. Yeah, I feel like there's some real cruelty happening here.
0: Well, there are um, let's go ahead and get it all out. Consuelo, there were some other infidelities mm-hmm. including another one of the duke's cousins, Lord <laughs> Castlereagh. Why not why not bed them all? The heir to the Marquess of Londonbury, okay, with whom she went to Paris for several weeks without notifying the duke. It, girls got to go. So, the letter along with Some of the other things that have come up in with with the richness and fullness of time (laughs) certainly do cause some skepticism about the truthfulness of her account about the marriage in her own biography, The Glitter and the Gold, where she presents herself as a hapless, terribly sad victim of all the Duke's philandering. The Duke is going to philander. We're getting to that. I don't think the Duke is not
1: suspect in all of this. I get that. I just. Anyway,
0: okay, the one thing that we do know is that Consuelo was miserable. She never wanted to get married to the Duke. It was Alva's ploy. And other than the two sons, Sonny and Consuelo's marriage, complete and total disaster. They never loved each other. Neither were very happy. It, it, it doomed from the start. Here's the other side, the sunny side of the street. <laughs> See what I did there? Okay, 1901. Sonny is going to fall in love with Gladys Deacon. Whoa, Gladys Deacon. This is a whole another spider web that's too good that had to get put in. Okay, so Consuelo likely encourages this relationship because neither Sonny nor Consuelo is happy. And Consuelo, like, thinking if Sonny is in a loving relationship with Gladys, then I can do my adultery and country house parties much easier with that. Okay, let's talk a little bit about Gladys. Gladys Deacon, born in Paris, February 7th, 1881. She has wealthy American parents, oldest of five kids. She has three sisters and a brother who dies in infancy. Gladys's mom, Florence, is a popular socialite and has a circle of interesting and glamorous and artistic friends such as French sculptor Auguste Rodin. Gladys's father, Edward is bad-tempered and Edward and Florence have a tumultuous marriage. Edward, Gladys's dad, finds out that Florence, Gladys's mom, is cheating on him with a Frenchman named Emile Abiel. Abiel, Emile Abiel. <laughs> Seriously, A B E I L L E, Emile, Emile Abile. Okay,
1: that's the Italian <laughs> that's... version. <laughs>
0: So, Edward goes to confront Emilia. B- <laughs> Emilia <Bille. laughs> um, Sorry. I'm so sorry, listeners. I really am. Okay. Um, <laughs> the story is no, off. And not did funny. that's that more. <laughs> Edward goes to confront Florence and Emilia Bille. <laughs> At the Splendide Hotel in Cannes. Indeed. France.
1: <laughs> okay, so Edward gets to the hotel room. He gets to the hotel. And Edward... Excuse me, is there a room rented out to Emilie? Abil- <laughs> Wait, Edward gets the hotel staff to open the
0: room. I'm looking for a guess. <laughs> where Florence and her lover are. And Edward goes in. And shoots Emile Abile three (laughs) times. And Abile dies of gunshot wounds the next day. Yikes. Okay, but the French. Thus ends. No, we're very understanding about the crimes of passion. Le criminal passion. Sure. Right? At the time. So, Edward, you want to guess how long he's in prison for it? Like a week. Twelve months. Okay, a year. He was acquitted of manslaughter, but convicted of intending to wound. Now. While Edward's in prison, Gladys, who this story is about-ish, uh-huh. secondarily, uh-huh. is sent to convent school. And Florence, her mom, doesn't like the idea because she's afraid Edward is going to take custody of Gladys when he's released from prison. So mom will abduct Gladys from the convent and bring Gladys back to Paris to live with mom. Edward, dad, is released from prison and he does, the first thing he does is go to the convent right. to get Gladys. Right. And Edward is furious to find that Florence had stolen Gladys out of the convent. So the couple goes through a divorce and custody court
1: case. I'm going to say, though, I think that after you shoot Abili to death, you, you're you not a good choice for custody. Uh, the
0: couple goes to a custody court case, which results in Edward...
1: To your point,
0: the murderer being granted full custody of all the kids. Oh,
1: fuck. Well, sure, you
0: murdered that guy that time, but I mean... Probably five He was asking for it. (laughs) He had it coming. Okay, so Edward then takes Gladys and her sisters to the United States for the next three years, and they don't see mom at all. Wait on it. Gladys and her sisters only stay for three years in the U.S. because Edward, the dad is proven to be mentally unstable really? and admitted into a mental hospital in Boston. Who could have guessed? He dies in 1901 from what is called paralysis of the brain, which you can decode into syphilis. Oh.
1: The girls <laughs> <laughs> sit back to Paris to live with Florence. With not the murdering parents. Okay. Correct.
0: So... <laughs> Hold on, this really does come back around, this intersects. This, this is where the new roller coaster is going to hook up with the roller coaster that we're on. Okay, so at some point in Gladys's young tween years, she becomes obsessed with the story of Consuelo Vanderbilt marrying the Duke of Marlborough. Okay, poster on the wall. Gladys will express the desire all the time to be old enough to have married the duke herself. When she's 16, Florence takes Gladys to London where she gets to meet the duke. Now, Gladys by this time has become a renowned beauty. She's very popular in Parisian society. She has lots of suitors, lots of admirers, but Gladys only has eyes. For Sunny. Now, she's good looking. She's highly intelligent and witty. Like, Gladys has got the package. Her mom's reputation, a bit scandalous, you know, with her husband being a murderer and then dying of syphilis. But Brand Gladys
1: paralysis, Alicia. Gladys
0: is still accepted into London society. So Gladys meets the Duke and it's not long before Gladys is invited to events at Blenheim Palace. Now, Consuelo and Gladys are only four years apart in
1: age. I'm starting to see why this is a UNESCO World Heritage site. (laughs) (laughs) So,
0: they're only four years apart. And Consuelo welcomes Gladys to Blenheim Palace. I'm happy to have you stay. I enjoy your company. In Hugo Vickers' book about Gladys, he says Consuelo will write the following about Gladys. She is a beautiful girl, endowed with a bright intellect, Possessed of exceptional powers of conversation, I was soon subjugated by the charm of companionship and we began a friendship. Consuelo is not the only one who is taken with Gladys's presence at her time at Blenheim. The Crown Prince of Prussia reportedly falls in love with Gladys. But Gladys, I only have eyes for you, Duke of Marlborough.
1: This is the plot of
0: Bridgerton. Yeah. Four years later, Gladys is invited back to Blenheim Palace to stay for a longer period, and this is when she and the Duke do become lovers. It is speculated that Consuelo encourages this, again, to allow her a bit more freedom in her own love affairs. The beauty that had gotten Gladys a great deal of attention uh, will lead her to being featured in a Pond's soap advertisement. Isn't that funny? Gladys, solidly an adult at this point. And she, again, men clamoring around. Men are in love with Gladys. And Gladys, no, only the Duke. So many men are in love with her. Marcel Proust writes of Gladys, I never saw a girl with such beauty, such magnificent intelligence, such goodness and charm. Hmm. Her eyes are so captivating, it is said that one glance would drive men crazy with desire. Gladys capitalizes on the beauty of her eyes throughout her adult life, having them copied in artworks for her homes and even on her gravestone. I mean, okay. when you know your best assets. Okay. 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 Gladys is also not shy about the effect she has on men. Gladys will claim to have, uh, to have slept with every prime minister in Europe and many Kings. The truth of this claim has not been verified. <laughs> so, Bringing it all together. Just keep working on authentication there. (laughs) Bringing it it on back. Okay. So both the Duke, Sonny, and Consuelo want a divorce. But in order to do that, the Duke has to prove infidelity on Consuelo's part, which he is unwilling to do because of the notoriety that it would bring to his family name. The other option is for Consuelo to prove physical cruelty or infidelity or desertion or non-support on his part. But the Duke has not been physically cruel, or deserted her, or refused to support her, and even if he had, the family's reputation is too important for them to make those kind of public accusations, especially when they're not true. Right. Finally, in 1907, the couple is granted a legal separation. Consuelo summarizes this decision in her memoir, saying, We had been married 11 years. Life together has not brought us closer together. So the couple's sons at this point are eight and nine. When their parents separate, they agree to share custody. But the one condition, Consuelo is not allowed to bring them to the United States until they were 21 years old. Consuelo and the boys will move into the palatial Sunderland house in London, while Sonny will stay at Blenheim Palace. In 1918, the British government requisitions Sunderland home house, Sunderland house for war purposes. So Consuelo is going to move into a townhome in Portland place with her younger son, Lord Ivor. Now Sunderland house is reportedly sold to Lord Marmaduke Furness, who is the husband of
1: Thelma Furness. Okay. Who is a mistress of the king? Is that where this is? One of them, yeah. She's the one who goes out of town and leaves Wallace Simpson to yeah take care of the king. Okay. And
0: Telma Furness is Gloria Vanderbilt's mother's
1: sister. Spiderweb, dude. The family trees here are impenetrable. Okay, go ahead. Okay.
0: Reportedly, it's sold to Marmaduke. Anytime I can say Marmaduke, I can't. I may will. as well. It's just good but it's it's not it's not really substantiated whether or not marmaduke or someone else purchased sunderland home it stopped being a private residence in the 1930s and after it's damaged by bombs in world war II, it is demolished so just, i've i've got a lot of fun home things in here just cuz i love traipsing through Dirty other people's digs. homes i know so consuelo will live in a few other country homes during her separation and divorce But she'll eventually move to Paris, where she lives in several different stately mansions. Now, Consuelo and Sonny do not have a lot of contact with each other during their years of legal separation. Not really surprised there. And Sonny goes on happily living with Gladys, right? And even in letters between Sonny and Gladys, they refer very unkindly to Consuelo as old OT, OT, old tart. Yikes. Yeah. So, blessedly, finally, the divorce is granted in 1921 after seven years of legal and physical separation. After the divorce is granted, Sonny the Duke writes, Thank heavens it's all over. The last blow that woman could strike over a period of some 20 years has now fallen. Dear me, what a wrecking existence she would have po- would have imposed on anyone with whom she was associated. Now, I want to go back to Gladys for a minute, because so remember the thing about Gladys was that she was beautiful. Her she, eyes, her eyes. Mm-hmm. It, like I have a picture of her eyes that are in art in one of these stupid homes. Okay, so poor Gladys, despite her beauty or maybe because of it, Gladys will seek out an early form of plastic surgery to fix something that she finds to be imperfect with her nose. It was never the nose they were looking at, honey, but shortly before Gladys marries the Duke, Gladys goes to Paris to be injected with paraffin wax. Oh no. Which will unfortunately slip down her chin. Uh-huh. And cause her to have a permanently lumpy jawline. Uh-huh. For the rest of her life. Yeah, that, yeah. Poor Gladys. I mean, she did it to herself. So, the Duke of Marlborough, his marriage to Consuelo is done. Gladys is in. Consuelo, Sonny, separate 1986. The divorce takes until 1921. Nin- 1906. The divorce <laughs> happens in 1921. Sorry, y'all. I bit my mouth last night when I was eating dinner and words are hard today. I mean... Extra hard. Extra hard today. So, Gladys and the Duke live together at Blenheim Palace... All throughout the years of his separation, there's the bad plastic surgery. But as soon as the divorce is granted, all of Gladys's poster on the wall dreams come true when she and the Duke finally get married. Bridgerton. <laughs> now, during her time at Blenheim, Gladys has had enormous replicas of her eyes. Uh, they're painted on the ceiling of the main portico in the palace. These paintings still exist. It's pretty cool. But now Gladys and her beauty is compromised with the lumpy jaw. (laughs) And Gladys no no longer wants to socialize or be seen by many
1: people. Oh, God. So to occupy herself. You know what? She needed masks.
0: No, she's going to go into dog breeding instead. She's going to go. She's going to begin breeding Blenheim Spaniels. It's a particular kind of Spaniel. Must be... So Sonny the Duke is a little annoyed with dozens of dogs running around the palace, Mm -hmm. but Gladys would get really mad when she's confronted about the pack of spaniels as well as the damage that they were doing to some pretty valuable carpets. Yeah. Marital issues ensued. (sighs) Now it is during this time that visitors and friends will report that Gladys is sleeping with a loaded revolver by her bed. Why well, things have turned between she and Sonny. She tells people the gun is there to keep her husband from entering the bedroom, even saying, "I might just shoot the
1: Duke so marital bliss this is not nah.
0: so Sonny understandably enough, fears Gladys's erratic behavior and gun toting. Penchant. I mean, have you met Gladys' dad, Edward? Fair. And Sonny GTFOs out of Blenheim Palace. He's like, I'm out of here. What? He flees.
1: He flees. Okay. Okay.
0: So Gladys
1: is and her dogs. Gladys and the dogs. Have their run of the place. Will stay
0: at Blenheim Palace alone for two years until Sonny the Duke evicts her. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Gladys will move into a home the Duke owns in London for a while until Sonny the Duke evicts her from that home also. Now, sadly, Sonny the Duke dies before the couple can divorce. So Gladys is now the Dowager Widow. Sure. Dowager Duchess. Dowager Marchioness, I suppose, because he's a Marquis. So Gladys and her dogs will move out to the remote farmhouse in the village of Mixbury in Oxfordshire, England. Gladys will start calling herself Mrs. Spencer. I love this part. Gladys won't talk to anybody. The only person Gladys talks to is a Polish servant who comes to visit her every day. But he comes over every day to visit, but he has no way of getting in the house. So she, from her upstairs bedroom, has a little key on a string that she lowers down every day, so he can unlock the door and get himself into the house and come visit. And then she'll raise the little string up. This happens every day. Weird. It. Th- this has taken a turn. <laughs> I've told you this
1: was a wild roller coaster. Like <laughs> we're we're not even to what happens with Consuelo yet. Does she have her Blenheim spaniels with her at this point? Or well, I'm glad you asked. Okay.
0: So there are reports that I don't know about the dog count, but at this time she does have numerous cats. And it is also reported that Gladys had become completely nocturnal. So there's your Vanderbilt (laughs) vampir. Zoom zooms with the cats. So in 1962, neighbors become concerned because nobody had seen or heard Gladys in a number of years. So authorities are called, and Gladys is forcibly moved into St. Andrews Mental Psychiatric Hospital, where she remains for the rest of her life. Gladys will pass away in 1977 at the age of 96. Yikes. Yeah. Hugo Vickers will visit Gladys at St. Andrews in 1975 and said that she was still the most fascinating woman he's ever met.
1: And so. When the Duke died, didn't Consuelo's oldest son then become... Mm -hmm. Okay.
0: Yeah, he'd be the 10th Duke. Uh Mm Uh-huh. Not Ivor. Ivor Ivor. Um, The first son. And that's Winthrop's... Ivor Ivor. yes, yeah. He's coming back in the story. Hang tight. Okay. I think that's all of Gladys. Yeah. Gladys dies. 96. (laughs) Gun-toting. Dog-breeding. Nocturnal cat lady. Mistress, life goals, wife, hater. <laughs> okay, now back to Consuelo. Yes, during her separation from the Duke, Consuelo conti- continues to lead an active social life because she has not gone to Paris to get bad plastic I, I was going to
1: say, don't be shooting up the paraffin.
0: Consuelo keeps good relationships with her Churchill relatives and will continue an extremely close relationship with her favorite Churchill cousin, Winston. Consuelo and Winston will see each other often throughout the remainder of their lives. Consuelo also involved in several charitable efforts. She is interested in charities and organizations that work to help the conditions of women and children that are living in financial, difficult financial living or working situations.
1: Does she build them marble homes?
0: (laughs) That's Alva. That's her mom. So during World War I, Consuelo is instrumental in the American Women's War Relief Fund. During and between both World Wars, Consuelo will work tirelessly to build and improve hospitals for low and middle class patients. During her marriage and afterwards, Consuelo runs homes for wives of prisoners who would otherwise be homeless during their spouse's incarceration. Consuelo, isn't she nice?
1: Like, well, nicer she's than terrible, but she's great. That's the thing, nicer than I would expect based mm-hmm. on how she treated her husband. Yeah. I realize she was forced into it, but like that was not his fault in particular. That was really I'm just saying. I know. But lots wait, lots wrong.
0: Also works with charities for unwed and impoverished mothers. She and she's coming up one of my favorites, a winneretta singer Polanac we will work together to build the fuck hospital. F-O-C-K fuck. Fuck, fuck. Fuck, fuck. With y'all English people I don't even know anymore. Nor fuck. This is F-O-C-K. So, folk, fuck. Cindy will tell me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, but this is actually a non-profit hospital and nursing school in a suburb of Paris.
1: <laughs> so. French. Yeah. I don't know. We don't pronounce the C.
0: Uh, <laughs> Folk? Folk, maybe. I don't know. Folk Hospital is still ranked one of the top hospitals in France. So good on you, Consuelo and Winaretta Singer. Now, Alva, in addition to the Big Marble House, has been doing a lot of efforts with women's suffrage and working to improve the working wage for women in factories. So Consuelo will team up with Alva to work on those causes as well. Consuelo is also actively involved in the Red Cross. One of the most interesting projects she worked on with the Red Cross was finding job placements for 400,000 servants when mansions were shut down and given over to the government to become hospitals or offices during the war effort.
1: She so got half a million people fucking was jobs. Gonna, yeah, I was going to double check that number with you. That is a lot.
0: 400,000.
1: Of people. Yeah.
0: Okay, but Consuelo's not done in the love department. There is a remarriage. To Louis-Jacques Balsan. B-A-L-S-A-N. Balsan. I was going to ask. Thanks. (laughs) He is from a strongly Catholic family. And because Consuelo is divorced, she Mm. and Louis-Jacques can marry legally, but can't marry in the Catholic Church. Because Catholic Church. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. This was not an obstacle to their personal happiness, but it does cause a little bit of tension for Balsan's family Because his family will not acknowledge his marriage or receive Consuelo until their marriage is acknowledged and blessed by the Catholic Church. Hmm. Consuelo and Balsan's marriage cannot be acknowledged and blessed by the Catholic Church without an annulment from the Vatican for the marriage with Sonny. Okay. In a twist of fate, It is the Duke, Sonny, that actually requests the marriage be annulled. Because... Sonny wants to convert to Roman Catholicism late in life. But bonus, this allows Consuelo to be acknowledged by
1: Louise's family, which is great. It's interesting. I would think that she would actually have the stronger case for coercion than he, right? Like, she was actually coerced into marrying him. Hold on.
0: Alva's about to come back around. um... Okay, okay. So, by the time... (laughs) Consuelo wants to annul her first marriage. Alva has mellowed a bit. <laughs> Alva's living a much happier life. She's been skating on being
1: the mom of a duchess. Well, like.
0: she's living a happier life with her second husband, okay. which worked out better than Willie Vanderbilt vampire, mm-hmm. right? So in a show of remorse or motherly love, or maybe just an attempt at some redemption for the shit amago you put me into, mom, Alva will help Consuelo obtain her annulment. Okay. So one of the only valid reasons that you get an annulment was that one of the parties was forced to get married against their will, Mm -hmm. which renders them unable to make a sincere commitment for a lifelong
1: marriage. Absolutely. And that is absolutely what happened.
0: 100% with Consuelo. So she's been forced to marry Sonny the Duke by her mom. So Alva recognizes this and admits in all annulment proceedings, acknowledges her coercion, and the control and the armed guard. And I watched your letters. I don't know if she talked about faking a heart attack or not, but. <laughs> Pish posh. <laughs> Pish posh. <laughs> Alva stands up and she's like, I really did make my daughter do this. Yeah, yeah. So let's get her that annulment. Okay. So,
1: well, I'm glad that she acknowledged that. Alva has a
0: little bit of a redemption yeah, story there. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. Consuela and Jacques Balsan do wed July 4th, 1921 Shortly after acquiring the legal divorce from the Duke of Marlborough. The first marriage is not annulled until 1926, though. So when that happens, the couple will remarry in the Catholic Church in an actual Catholic ceremony.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, let me tell you a little bit about Balsan. He is a French lieutenant colonel in the cavalry. Yes. Not cavalry. Nope, different. Cavalry. Cavalry. And he's also an aviation and balloonist enthusiast. Uh
1: Uh-oh. Who
0: will once work with the Wright brothers.
1: Well, that's cool. Although I know some of those early aviationists. (laughs) Not (laughs) an untimely end.
0: The thing about Balsan, though, he's loaded. He is from a textile manufacturing family. He's an heir to a fortune. So money, not a problem. The Balsans will live in France, dividing their time between Paris and their country home on the Riviera which is nice if you can get it. Mm-hmm. Later, they will purchase and renovate a chateau in Normandy. Consuelo will build a hospital on that property, also to care for sick children and young tuberculosis patients. Interesting. Now, By all accounts, Consuelo is married to Balsan and life in France blissfully happy until the couple becomes aware of a Nazi plot to kidnap them Because they'd be very valuable prisoners. Sure. So the company barely escapes France. They flee to Spain and Portugal before they do get finally back over to the United States.
1: Okay. Okay. So this is the late 30s, early 40s, I'm guessing?
0: Yeah. This is, yeah, during the war. So now they're back in the U.S. And the couple lives in what Consuelo calls Quiet Splendor. Hmm. Quiet Splendor. In 1953, she will publish her own autobiography called The Glitter and the Gold, where she describes her early life and first marriage as the glitter and her life with Balsan as the gold. The couple has a home in Manhattan, a mansion in Oyster Bay, Long Island. They buy a villa. They named Casa Alva in 1956 (laughs) to use as their winter headquarters in Palm Beach, Florida. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, you know me. I love to traipse around homes. So I found this thing that home, Casa Alva, was opened up in 2010. I said that right, 2010, and the Palm Beach Daily got an insight in. So I just want to. I'm reading from this particular article. The tangerine-colored dining room might raise Consuelo Vanderbilt's aristocratic eyebrows, but most of the former Duchess of Marlborough's Manalapin, love nest. Uh, the Portuguese tiles, the chandeliers she bought from, brought from Blenheim Palace, and most of all her beloved antique paneling called Boiserie, B-O-I-S-E-R-I-E, called from Parisian palaces in the French Chateau, is still here almost exactly as one of the country's most famous heiresses left it 53 years ago. She swiped
1: chandeliers from Blenheim? Yeah, dude.
0: What else? I don't know why that strikes me as hilarious. Okay, okay. So, except for the furniture, most of this grand old house is exactly as it was when Prime Minister Winston Churchill and dozens of European royal guests visit, beginning in the 1930s. Owners Bill and Mora Benjamin felt it was responsibility to maintain the house's original appearance. So, these people. This was 2010. Mora says we've been living curators for 29 years. Bill is a developer and former mayor who is only the second owner of the home. He says we've worked hard to preserve it. We have a great deal of respect for the home. So, but the Benjamins want to move and they've been trying to sell Casa Alva for years, which is why they allowed a public look at one of the Palm Beach County's few remaining mansions untouched by massive renovations. At the time, Casa Alva acres of gardens, 500 feet of waterfront was listed for $13.5 million down from its $15.9 million price tag a few years ago. You ready for a hell of a deal though? Benjamin buys the house and property from Consuelo Vanderbilt in 1957 for $568,000. Now at the time, Bill is much more interested in the estate's 150 acres which include three small keys trailing off the south end of the island. It was the era of dredge and fill, which is exactly what Benjamin did to wrest buildable land from the lowland swamp. Eventually, Bill creates three miles of waterfront property, which becomes Point Manalapan, M A N A L A P A N, Manalapan subdivision. Ed, yeah. Where almost every lot has a waterfront view. Casa Alva becomes the Manalapan Club, a fancy private club where members can golf and keep their boats at the Yacht Club and enjoy meals prepared by a French chef. The club disbands in the late 1970s. Bill will lend Casa Alva to the Junior League for a designer showcase, and he and Mora hadn't been married that long, but she falls in love with the home. So they move in, Mora changes the color of the master bedroom. Stains the family dining room walls a color her painter dubs Mora Orange. This is the tangerine right. walls. Uh, but leaves most of the house intact. Collects appropriate furniture and stories about Madame Consuelo Vanderbilt Balsan. The poor little rich girl who found love at last. This goes into Consuelo's stories. But we have heard about most of Consuelo's stories. Let's see if there's anything in here. She divorced the Duke and marries her great love, French aviation pioneer Jacques Balsan, a-, a vanderbuilder. Vanderbuilder, <laughs> like the rest of her mansion mad family, she'll follow her brother Harold to Manalapan, where he hired Fatio to build his beachfront mansion called Eastover. F A T I O. Anyway, Consuelo pays $75,000 for a pioneer homestead across from the intracoastal waterway from her brother. On the southern tip of Hypoluxo Island. Anyway, they build. It's fun. Doo, 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 doo. Oh, here's your st- chandelier story. <laughs> um, in the main pink and green dining room, Consuelo hangs two chandeliers that came from Blenheim Palace. According to Mora, she earned them. <laughs> At one point, a cable was strung across the water between the two Vanderbilt homes so that they could talk back and forth
1: oh for a phone okay mm-hmm. i'm like
0: did they run a car on
1: it like what? <laughs> this is our trolley anyway it's the vander trolley
0: okay but are you so sad you ready for this jacques balsan they buy this home and he dies before he and consuelo can spend their first winter there oh i know in 1956, he dies in 1956, which is why she sells in 1957 the property of Casa Alva. I know. Consuelo loses her husband and her son, Ivor. Ivor's buried in the churchyard at St. Martin's Church in Oxfordshire, England. Jacques is buried in France. So after burying her husband and younger son, Consuelo will return to the United States. She purchases an estate in Southampton and as an 80-year-old widow will throw herself into renovating. She's a Vanderbuilder. Renovating and decorating a home as well as improving the grounds and gardens. (laughs)
1: Vanderziner.
0: Consuelo will live out the rest of her days in her Southampton estate, enjoying her family and friends, and she'll develop a very close bond with her granddaughter, Sarah Consuelo Churchill. Consuelo Vanderbilt Spencer Churchill Balson will die December 6th, 1964, at the age of 87 in Southampton, New York. She is buried next to her son, Ivor, at St. Martin's Churchyard in England near Blenheim Palace.
1: Hmm.
0: Okay. Now, you ready? I don't know. <laughs> what the hell can come next? Of all of the millions that Consuelo's daddy, William K., left to her and the millions given as her dowry years later. You want to guess at how much she has when she dies? Two mil. That's all that remains mm-hmm. when she dies. The bulk of her estate is split between her grandchildren. In 2019, Consuelo's final home, that estate in Southampton, was listed for sale with the asking price of $28 million. Yikes. And that, my darlings, is the trashy tale of the heiress, (laughs) Consuelo Vanderbilt, Spencer Churchill, Balsan—the tale of Gladys Deacon, gun-toting, cat-loving lady. All the husbands, all the chandeliers.
1: I feel like some of these fancy people are just collecting last names.
0: (laughs) It's so trashy, trashy, trashy. Anyway, that is the rest of Consuelo and your heiresses for the week. Thanks for letting me split that into two, y'all.
1: Yeah, it is odd. I mean, she clearly really opted to hate her first husband.
0: Well, you're forced into a like Mm -hmm. opt to hate my mother too. After that, that,
1: yeah, I feel like how I hate my mother. I feel like my new TV show. Yeah. I feel like it started in a relatively promising way with kind of both of them acknowledging that they were not, like, that this was a transaction. Yeah. And that, right, like, you can choose to have an open marriage, things like that. And I don't know how it ended up.
0: Well, Gladys just had to get her man.
1: I yeah, can. yeah. I mean, that, which and is fine. It all
0: goes wrong with the Spaniels.
1: But, yeah, it just, it seems like Consuelo kind of leaned into the hating the guy.
0: Pretty much, yeah. So anyway, that's, I mean, that's the point of her book right? is how horribly I was treated. But that's why we spent a little bit of time on the story before. Like, right, eh, right. uh, Unreliable narrators, maybe both. Oh, and a big shout out to Melissa. Oh, for her help on the research for this one. Thank you. My dear, you're the best. That's Consuelo. We'll be back next Tuesday with another heiress. I got somebody fun coming next week. Uh, I'm excited about that one. So stay tuned. Thank you. Thank you all for listening and your support and your patronage and all your trashy, trashy love.
1: We appreciate it.
0: Keep your hands clean.
1: Double mask. Keep those hearts trashy. I'm so jealous of you Australians and stuff. Like there are people in the world who are not currently living in a crisis and I love it. It's so good. We hope to get there one day. I know. Anyway, thank you so much. We'll be back soon with more stuff.
0: Keep it trashy, friends. Bye. Bye. Bye.